Hi everyone and thank you so much for tuning into Grow With Grief, a podcast that aims to make the uncomfortable comfortable and open up the conversations around grief and loss. My name is Katrina and together we will be hearing different stories from different people, how grief has impacted their life and what they've learned from it. And together we will create a community that normalizes the conversations around grief and loss. So hello, James, and thank you so much for coming on and being happy to share your story and your journey. Um, I am really excited to have this conversation with you. I think the work that you and both you and your wife does is absolutely amazing and what you've created. So for anybody who doesn't know who you are uh, or what you do, can you just share a quick overview of your life and how you came to where you are today? Well, thank you, Katrina. Uh, uh, I'm excited to be on the show and um, share a little bit about um, what, what we do and how we support the grief community. Um, long story short, so eight years ago, my wife Christy and I started a non-profit organisation called Feel the Magic and Feel the Magic supports bereaved children and teens between the ages of 7 to 17 who have lost a parent, sibling or legal guardian. Okay, and what led you to setting up this charity? So what led me to starting charity, uh, this charity? Um, yeah, have we got time to share the long story or is it, yeah. uh, do you want to go short, short of a long? Okay, um, so the, my story is in 2005 when I was 24, I lost my dad to a two-year cancer battle. Um, I remember at dad's funeral thinking, geez, you know, he's worked hard all his life, finally retired and, you know, two years later he was, he was dead. And for me, I was, you know, still, they were living, my parents were living in Queensland. I was living in Sydney, um, living for the weekends, had no real drive or purpose. Um, my dad's passing was the catalyst for change for me personally. Um, being a young 24-year-old, about to turn 25, I, and I'm an only child as well, I, I realised that uh, I didn't want to keep, continue living life like that. I needed to, to grow up and, and dad's passing was the catalyst because I had my widowed mum now that I wanted to take care of. She didn't didn't need my support, but I just took it upon myself because I really wanted to do that. And at Dad's wake, I actually sat down and wrote out a goal, and that was to buy or build a dream home in a beautiful part of Sydney that was going to house my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, and live happily ever after and move mum in, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was in 2005. I have, I've got experience in the, in the sign industry. I bought a van, started installing signage all up and down the, the coast of New South Wales, uh, was making reasonable money and got caught up in the material world. Um, you know, I was, you know, I could be responsible and irresponsible with my money at the time. You know, I was buying, you know, investment properties, et cetera, but I was also splurging on, on whatever I wanted as well. So, but in that time, I, I really lost sight of what was truly important and that was time with, with loved ones. I was so consumed by this financial security and this goal of, you know, buying this house that it that it took me away from the important things in life. But I didn't realise it at the time. You know, young and young and and driven. I just wanted to achieve those achieve my goals. Um, and then in two thousand and ten, we finally bought our home. So five years later, bought our bought a beautiful place. We live in the Hawkesbury of uh, New South Wales, uh, but we couldn't move into it for a further six months because it was a, a display home in a new estate. So we're moving at the time we're moving from a three bedroom home to a six bedroom home. 
so we had to fill the fill the house full of all this new furniture. So I went out back out to work and worked um, ridiculous hours once again, and um, yeah, trying to buy the material things to you know to fulfill the the busy life I had. Uh, July twenty six months had passed, and it was July twenty ninth two thousand eleven, and um, it was also my thirty first birthday. And you know, I remember mum mum woke up. Um, it was moving day. She was really excited. We we're all pretty pumped. Uh, I had to go into work that day to to do something, whatever it may be. And um, I remember grabbing my lunch, turning around to say goodbye to mum, and mum was being a little bit weird and grabbing her head. And I was saying, "What what's wrong, mum? You're right." And then she started asking me, you know, random things like, "Is that you know, is there is there toilet paper in the bath in the shower?" And I'm like, "Mum, what are you what are you talking about?" Um, and she started walking towards me like I wasn't there, like she was trying to walk through me. And I said to my wife, I said to my wife, I think mum's got a migraine. Can you look after her while I go to the factory and uh, we'll get this move done? Uh, that was that. I got, I got probably got about 20 minutes away from home and my wife called and said uh, they've rang the ambulance. Your mum's not doing too well. So I thought, oh, okay, we'll better turn around and go back. Not thinking anything, anything severe was happening. She's had a, a, a terrible migraine. And as I pulled in the driveway, they were putting mum into the ambulance and I ran up to the ambulance and said, what's, you know, what's going on? Uh, and they said, oh, we think she's had a mild stroke. And I just remember thinking, oh, you're kidding, you know, life is going to be difficult now, you know, for her and for us because she was moving in with us and but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll um, work together on that one. So we drove to Nepean Hospital in, in Penrith. And they took it as, as soon as we got there. They said, "Are you Mr. Thomas?" I said, "Yep." And um, took us straight into this small room, and it was there that uh, not long after we were sitting there, you know, Christy was already um, being upset, and she asked me if I was okay. I said, "Yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not stressed, not worried at all." And and then that's when the neurosurgeon walked in and said, "Oh, you know, are you Mr. Thomas?" And I said, "Yep, that's me." And he said, "I'm so sorry, she didn't make it." And he just turned around and walked out. Um, and for me, as a 31-year-old, in that moment, I was just, it was like he walked into that room and threw a grenade and then ran out and Christy and I were there to you know, really wear the, the brawn of that uh, explosion. And, and that's what it was for me. I just I remember putting my hand in, my, in the palms of my hand and was just wailing and bawling my eyes out because I just couldn't believe that mum was there one minute. We had this beautiful future that we worked so hard towards. And in that instant, that, that one piece of that puzzle was taken away and just I could just feel everything falling out of place. Um, and the fact it was my birthday, and it's, you know, this, this is quite, quite um, eerie. So many, I'm, I'm jumping the gun here, sorry, uh, but many years later, or a couple of years later, I, and all the, all the mum's stuff was uh, in, in, in the garage and I stumbled across, I couldn't go into the garage for, for a long time. Uh, it was just too painful. Um, actually, you know what? I might go. Might, before I go into that, I feel like there's a there's a huge part of the grief story that I need to need to share. But uh, but I will touch on that. So remind me later. Um, so, so for for me, it was you know losing mum in that moment. It just it just honestly felt so surreal and so movie like. It was you know this kind of stuff only happens in the movies. You know, you build, you work so hard, you're about to achieve your achieve your dream and your mum's about to be so proud of you and 
in that moment it was all taken away and it was just this feeling of oh my god that what's what's going what's happening right now um time literally stood still time really went slow and i remember thinking i've just got to get through the funeral and i'll then i'll be okay so i felt like um you know the 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 week or however many days it is before you you bury your loved ones um that dragged on you know there was a lot of organizing there was a lot of affairs you needed to sort it out we just moved into a new home so we had to sort out all our affairs here you know um telephone internet all that all that fun stuff but i realized in that in that moment that i didn't know how to grieve i'd I'd never even though i grieved dad's death dad's death kind of was the as i said earlier was the catalyst for change for me uh it was a time for me to grow up and it kind of kind of gave me purpose as to you know buying this home and being financially secure and looking after mum that was my purpose in that in that time but then when mum was taken it was you know who who am i right now i feel like a 31 year old orphan and you know it's funny there there is research now that shows when you do lose both your parents at a no matter what age as an adult it's has a severe effect on your your capacity to to be in that in that in that moment um but i i, I really struggled i Number one, I didn't know I was grieving. As stupid as that sounds, I didn't know how to grieve. And I had no idea the, the journey that I was about to embark on from that one uh, incident from losing mum. Mm-hmm. And do you mind sharing the garage story? Yeah, for sure. So mom, when we moved, uh, you know, the first, so the move had to go ahead, right? So we sold our house, we bought this house. We we're moving in, and so thank God for all my wife's family. You know, they they moved for us. Um, whilst Christy and I were at the hospital with Mum, and that night I I come home and I remember walking through the garage, and all of Mum's stuff was in the garage, from floor to ceiling, and boxes and furniture and all that sort of stuff. And I just it just made me it all it either made me sick or angry. I can't remember, but I remember setting foot in this house and just thinking, I don't want to be here. This is you know, this isn't the dream that I work so hard for. Uh, so, I, you know, I made a decision then that I'm not going to get out of that garage for a very long time because it was just too painful. Um, a lot had happened in the, in the, over the next, you know, even the funeral, all that sort of stuff, but a lot had happened over the next 18 months that I look back on today that really were signs of the path that I was heading down. But one day after it was close to two years, I actually said, you know what, this is ridiculous. I've got to... You know, there's some stuff that's of ours that's in the garage and I, I need it now, I need to find it. Um, and I feel I'm ready to go in the garage and look at some of my stuff. And one of the first boxes I found was a, um, a bracelet from when I was born. So when you, like a tag from the hospital. And mum had, on the, on the time I was born and the time that mum died on my birthday, mum had died exactly the same time that she gave birth to me 31 years later. Wow. So I remember, I remember looking at that going, wow, that is, that is, there's is something more to mum's death than, than meets the eye. And I really, I think that's when I probably felt the first bit of hope or a bit of um, light at the end of the tunnel. I just knew there was something, something had to come of mum's death. It was just too, it was just too, for me personally, it was just too tragic uh, and so unfair for nothing to come, nothing to come from this. So I think in that moment for the first time I had, hope and I realised that, you know, something good has got to come from this and I think that was my mindset moving forward. Wow. That's 
that's pretty big that that's yeah yeah um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so from both of your experiences with losing your mom and your dad what then led you to create this charity where you support young people and you've created this amazing community and resource for young people so so after losing, I just want to compare both my dad and, and mum's passing, and I think even elaborate on the on the fact that I didn't know how to grieve. So dad's passing was, you know, cancer. We knew he was. We knew at a point he was not going to make it, and I think I, I think I found myself accepting that, and um, I still felt like life was unfair for him because, as I said, he worked so hard and finally retired and moved that my parents moved from Sydney to Queensland. That was always a dream of theirs. And two years later, he was no longer here to experience that. Um, so that was a different kind of death. It was more of a, I actually felt pity. I felt pity for, for not only mum, but my dad, that that's what he missed out on. My experience personally was the fact that I, I um, now had the ability to, you know, I guess be the man of the house and, and look after mum and, and create a different life. Uh, for all of us and you know make sure mum had a had a you know a, a great um lifestyle and you know being around our you know potential future grandkids all that all the all the fun stuff that i know i knew mum would have loved um so comparing that death it was it was almost like my thoughts around how you deal with grief were were correct you know you get to the funeral you feel pity, you feel sorrow, and then you move on. That's, that's exactly what happened with dad's death. But for me, I actually had that purpose, right, which is what I've, what I've mentioned. Um, with with mum, it was, it was a different, it was such a different feeling. Like I literally felt like a child. I, I honestly felt like a, a grieving child, an orphan child that no longer has his mum or dad here to, to lean off for support or for advice or just the simple things of, you know, even, even helping mum was, was um, something I, I, I love to do. Mum's personality was great. She was, she was bubbly. She was, she was always happy. She's always had a smile on her face. And, you know, when, when she was no longer here, it was just this, it was just this void that, um, you know, you, you always know as an adult that's gonna, that time's going to come. But for me, I just wasn't ready for it. I suppose you're never ready for it. But for me, it was, it was just this surreal feeling of, of, of loss that, that um, life was never going to be the same. Mm. Uh, so, so from there, I, I, I really, I really, again, as silly as this sounds, I didn't understand I was grieving. We got through the funeral. They had to carry me out of the funeral. I, I actually really broke down near the end when they were closing the curtain on mum and, and that, was, that was really heartbreaking. That was just um, tragic because that was it, right? Um, and, and for me, once the funeral was over, that was, that was the end. But little did I know the journey that I was about to, to go on and um, I guess that was the start of a downward spiral um, throughout my grief journey and it was all myself myself doing. I remember ringing my uh, business partner at the time and I said, look, I'm ready to come back to work. And he even said, look, don't come back, just have a bit more time. I said, no, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good, I'm ready to come back. And I think that was only a week later. Um, but I remember walking into my into the factory and I, I just did not want to be there. I, I developed a hatred for everything in my life. It was like this this life that I'd worked so hard to put together and, and build and create that financial security or what I wanted was financial security. 
literally meant nothing to me anymore. Um, it wasn't, it didn't fulfill me. Uh, I just felt like I was wasting my time for a, for a, for a paycheck and it didn't sit right with me anymore. But again, things got busy and you just, you just get on with life and you know, that the, the thought of um, dealing with my grief was just not even a thought. I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I should get over it. Well, as many times I drive home from work late at night and, and, um, and I just I hear a song and I just start bawling my eyes out in the car and I remember thinking, God, oh, what's wrong with me? What, what, why can't I just get over this? I need to get over this. And I physically and mentally felt different. I, you know, I put on a lot of weight. Food was my coping strategy. And, um, yeah, I was trying to do everything I could to avoid confronting that pain. And it wasn't until uh, probably two years probably about two years after mum's passing where I was, I was, you know, I was, I was fat. I was mentally un, unhealthy. Um, I was in a, in a job, I'll call it a job, but I had my business that I, that I hated. Uh, things weren't going too well. Um, I, I was pushing people around me that were, that were close. I was pushing them away. Um, I hated the person I'd become throughout my grief. And again, in hindsight, looking back, I, I tried to avoid my grief as much as possible. But the time I faced my grief was when my wife, Christy, came home one day and just said, James, I need to sit down and talk. And she said, if you don't start looking after yourself, I can't be here anymore. You know, I love you. We've been through hell. I'm here to support you no matter what, but you need to start supporting yourself because I can't do it anymore. And that was the, you know, the, the thought of losing her as well was a, was a real um, eye-opener. You know, I, I knew I didn't like myself, but then to hear it from someone else that didn't like the person that I was becoming because I was too scared to face my grief um, was a real kick in the pants that I needed. And I, and I still remember the conversation like it was yesterday. And I remember throwing my hands in the air going, what do you want from me then? What do you need? And she just said, I think you need to sell your business. And for me, it was like my head was, say, was saying, don't be ridiculous. How are we going to pay for a lifestyle? How are we going to live? All, this, all the why nots. But then I instantly felt relief in my body of, wow, what if I could sell my business? And it was just this feeling of a sense of freedom that finally that uh, after everything we've been through, that there was light at the end of the tunnel because, you know, in losing mum, developing a hatred of everything in your life, not dealing with your grief and doing the same thing every day, all day, expecting a different result was, was like bashing my head against the wall. So in that moment, I actually felt like, geez, there's a chance of, of real change here. So I ended up selling the business, um, sold the business in December 2012 to one of our um, staff and it's still going to this day and she's doing a phenomenal job with the, with the organisation. Um, but for me, it was very scary as well because for the first time in a long time, I had no job, I had no business, I had no income to um, come back to. But my wife and I, we organised a trip to um, America for a month. It was one of our bucket, bucket list items. Uh, had mum not passed, would still be one of our bucket list items because I was just too busy with work. So we had that to look forward to and, that's, and I guess that's where new beginnings started for not only us but definitely for me with, with my grief. Amazing. Wow. Well, what I think what you were saying about 
you know, your father's death and your mother's death being very different types of grief is, is so true. Sometimes if we've experienced um, grief in more than one area of our life, we think that we know what to expect and we know how we should yeah. deal with it. So what for you shocked you the most and what was, what did you least expect about your grief the second time? The time that it, the, I guess the timing of it all, and I think the realisation that grief never goes away. I'll always grieve my mother's death. You know, even when I had my, I've got two, two sons now, even when I had my first son, I remember I went through this whole grief experience because both my parents missed out on that. You know, and there's a, it's heartbreaking. I just think my, my parents would have loved to see their, meet their grandchildren. I, I take, I take, um, comfort in, in, in believing that they saw them before we saw them. Um, but then, you know, that was my first son. And for my second son, who I only, who I only had earlier in the year, I went through it again, even worse. Um, and, I, and I think the lesson for me is that grief, expect the unexpected with grief. Don't put a time frame on it. But you've got to, you have to look after yourself and do what's right by you. Um, because the more you try to push it aside it just keeps keeps coming at you yeah yeah and that was going to be my next question is what is your biggest lesson that you've taken from your grief and loss and what did that give you in your life because I think that we can always take a lesson from something that happens to us and create something from that yeah I think for me one of the key lessons I learned even when I was in my in the in the in the darkest part of my grief, I actually found, found it helped talking to people that understood what I was going through. Um, I, I never went and saw a professional and I don't, I don't say that with pride. I think I was just too scared to, and I didn't, I honestly didn't think there was anything wrong with me, but if I met someone who had lost someone or, you know, even if they lost their dog, I just, we just had this connection. I, and I really felt at ease by, being who I wanted to be in that moment with that person because I knew they understood. Um, and I guess that'll that'll lead to when we talk about feel the magic more. Did the importance of that? You know, I, I really feel that that connection that we all need, we all yearn for. Whether it's you know whether you've got a disability or a sickness or whatever whatever you're whatever you've dealt with in life, if you can meet someone who's experiencing the same type of pain and been on the same journey as you, that's that's life changing. Mm. Definitely. It's so hard to articulate grief and loss and how that feels. So when you're able to meet somebody who, even if their experiences are different, can even have the slightest bit of understanding of how it feels without having yeah. to say the words, it's, it's yeah. an incredible connection that you can make. Um, so can we talk a little bit more about Feel the Magic and what you do with Feel the Magic? Um, and how that helps so many young people. What you're doing is amazing. So I'd love you to share it a little bit more. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I might just share how it started, if that's okay, and yeah. then get into what we did. <clears throat> so a part of, the, a part of our um, uh, month holiday around the States that I referred to when after, after I sold the business, we went to America for a month, and my wife uh, booked us some time at uh, Disneyland in, in Anaheim in California. I didn't really want to go, but I thought, oh, let's let's just do it. It'll be it'll be fun. But hands down, it's it's the best thing that I've done in my life, uh, and I and I really believe that things happen for a reason. And 
that day walking through the front gates, I actually, for the first time in at least two years, um, felt genuine happiness and connected with not only my, my family, but my mum and dad in that moment. You know, I think I was just so numb and raw um, uh, in, in pain and angry with the world that I didn't really allow people in it. But in that moment, walking through the front gates of Disneyland, I, I was confronted by all these characters and, and sounds and music that I just remember um, watching Disney, sorry, watching Disney movies with, with my parents, you know, and they're special, they're special, special moments that you, you, or me, I should say, I suppressed and forgot all about, but, you know, hearing the music and, and it just took me back to sitting on a, sitting on a lounge with both my parents either side and my feet not even touching the floor watching Disney classics as a family. And I just knew in that moment I was in the right place at the right time. And that's, that's where I needed to be. Um, and then one day I'm a huge daydreamer. And one day I was, uh, one of the days we were there, I was just having lunch and looking out in the crowd and I was really admiring the, just at how in the moment children are just in everyday life. But in this, in Disneyland, you know, they're wearing their costumes. They were just the smiles on their faces, you know, and you know, some were just, you know, so tired that they just would lose it, but they, they don't, care what's going on around them. They just care what's going on for them in that moment. I really felt, um, I really admire that about kids. Even, even now, I, I just admire that kids can be so in the moment, whereas adults can really drift off. And I reflect on my own journey. It was all about financial security. Uh, and it took five years to kind of get the house, but then that was taken, the house wasn't taken away, but that experience was taken away. However, the journey to get there was was not that good because I wasn't really present. It was always about what's next, what's next. So when I was in Disneyland, I, I, I was looking at these kids and I, I remember just feeling like I was slapped in the face with this idea and, and I remember going, oh, wow. And the idea was what if I could support bereaved kids back in Australia who have been through the same pain and suffering that I have and my wife um, raise money to send them to the happiest place on earth, raise them and their families to send them to the happiest place on earth, Disneyland. I remember turning to my wife um, at the time, uh, my wife, uh, and saying to her at the time, what do you think of this idea about raising money for bereaved kids? And she said, oh, I love it. Let's talk about it when we get home. And that was, <clears throat> that was January 2013. And by July 2013, we're a fully pledged non-for-profit um, organisation. So that's how... Feel the Magic started. It was just a, a simple idea, not even intending to be a charity, but we wanted to raise money to send families who have lost a parent or a sibling to the happiest place on earth. Um, and that, that was the start of our journey. So that, see, <clears throat> I feel like looking, in, looking back at the journey of my grief and the pain, the good times, the bad times, and, and all of a sudden you go, you let go of what you know. And when you go to a place like Disneyland, the, the gift of receiving that idea has kind of put us eight years later has put us in the position we are now. Over the first 12 months, we sent about 12 or 13 families to and from Disneyland. And what we noticed was the connection that these families were, were um, having with one another. So when they get back, they'd reach out to one another and say, you know, let's get together and supporting each other through their grief journey. And Christy and I observed that and, and thought, Disneyland's great. And as you say, it gives them hope. It gives them something to look forward to, but it's not getting to the source of the problem. Um, if a child's going to go off the rails because they've lost their mum, mum, dad, or um, or a sibling, Disneyland's not going to 
you know, prevent that as, as best as possible. So we, we got our, we got some friends and family together who are, you know, psychologists, counselors, um, my wife's an educator, and we come up with a concept of a, of a camp program and we call that program called Camp Magic. So Camp Magic is a safe place for grieving kids to grow. Um, it supports, again, children between the ages of seven to 17 and it's a mentoring program where every child that comes to camp is, is matched with a, and supervised by an adult mentor. Um, camp's a lot of fun. It's a lot of um, resilient, confidence, team building activities. But the key component to camp is our talk time sessions. So talk time sessions are a therapeutic, psychoeducational, grief education and support that we deliver age appropriately, age appropriately to, to groups. And that's where they learn the tools necessary for them to understand big emotions that are related to their grief and how to deal with, um, you know, deal with the pain of grief when it, when it does rear its ugly head. You know, rather than learning how to suppress it. You know, for instance, take a 10-year-old boy, for instance. He loses his dad. He may be a part of a sporting clubs and he's definitely going to school. But what happens for that child is everyone's there for the beginning. Everyone doesn't know what to say, but they're there. You know, condolences, whatever, you know, we're here to help. But unfortunately for that boy and most grieving children and grieving adults, um, we perceive that grief has a time frame. And once we realise, oh, the funeral's over, We've been there for a couple of weeks or a month or two. Um, they're doing okay now. Um, so let's, they're all right. So people get on with their own lives. And rightfully so, people need to live their life. But for that 10-year-old boy, no one's talking to him about, about his grief. No one's checking in with him regularly um, post to six months uh, of a loss. If he goes to school, he's the only one in that, in that classroom that's lost someone. And his best buddies won't, won't know what to say. So the first thing that boy learns how to do from a very young age is, is to su suppress it. So if you suppress any sort of negative emotion or pain long enough, it's going to come out and rear its ugly head in, in many different ways as you get older. Um, you know, whether it's self-sabotage, alcohol, drug abuse, mental health, um, self-harm, whatever it may be, that's what that little boy will deal with for the rest of his life, not just six months after his father's death. And that's, that's what we really... Um, Teach at camp that grief will last forever. It's how you manage your grief that, that makes it easier to live with as you, as, you, um, as you grow. Because you don't want them to forget their loved one. You know, you don't, you've lost your dad. That's a huge um, part of your life. You never forget your dad. never want to forget your dad. You want to honour your dad. You want to remember your dad. You want to remember the great things about your dad. Um, so that's what we, we teach at camp. So we have four key values at camp. Uh, empathy, empowerment, growth and connection. Empathy is key. So, again, let's take that young boy, 10 years old. When people hear about a young boy that's, that's lost someone, they, they tend to feel sorry for them. You know, they pity them. You know, that poor kid, how's he going to cope without his dad? Who's going to take him to football? Without, who's, you know, his dad's not around. Um, who's going to kick the footy with him in the park because his dad's not around? So we, we pity these kids and we give them an excuse for them to develop a victim mentality. You know, the moment you develop a victim mentality and you live with that long enough, that's stuck with you for life. <clears throat> so what we do at camp is we empathise. Empathy is key. So we don't feel sorry for them. We get on their level because we understand. We understand that what's happened to them is crap and it's not fair and it hurts and it's, it's just not... Um, it, it, it shouldn't have happened, but the harsh reality is it has happened and it's a part of your story. So that's empathy. Empowerment, we empower our kids to learn to 
with our tools, learn to address their grief in a healthy way. You know, there's, there's ways that um, they need to talk about their grief um, and acknowledge that it exists, not suppress it. Um, by um, empowerment, we empower these kids to, you know, really, um, sorry, no, growth. So by implementing our, um, our education and resources, kids can't help but grow because they're implementing their, their strategies into their day-to-day lives and acknowledging the pain that they're going through or the pain that they're coming to in terms of a, you know, a first anniversary or, or you know, a dad's birthday, whatever it may be. They've got the tools necessary for them to, to acknowledge that they're not feeling good and it's okay not to feel good. You know, we don't always have to be happy. We don't always have to fix it. If we can just learn how to be with whatever we're going through in that moment, your mental health or even your physical health is going to be so much better for it going forward. Eventually, they will come out of it. Um, and the one that I love the most is, is connection. So as you, may, as you may know, grief tends to bring isolation because you honestly feel like you're the only person that's going through loss and change in that moment. And it's a hard road. Guys, grief is a bloody hard road. So if you can connect with others more, you know, and going back to what I was saying, you know, in the first two years of my grief, the more I could speak to other people. And in fact, for me, the more I could support others going through grief, the better I felt within my own grief. So when you connect a bunch of strangers together who are going through exactly the same thing um, that each are going through, uh, it, it just it just really, it's that peer-to-peer support that they wouldn't otherwise get at their school or sporting club or whatever whatever it may be. It's a safe place for them to be that vulnerable little person that they need to be in that moment when they need to address the toughest thing they're ever going to have to go through in life. And I think, I think ultimately for us, and something I always, always say to the kids is, you know, losing your parent or sibling is, will be the hardest thing you're ever going to have to live with. And look at how resilient, look how strong you are. You've just dealt with the toughest thing by going through camp. Because we've taken pretty... We take them to play. We don't force them. We take them to places that, you know, they're really confronted with their grief and that's painful. It's that painful that most adults don't know how to talk about grief. And I was one of them. So if a child can get through that, come out the other side and actually implement strategies and, and understanding that grief is a normal part of life, it's happened to them far earlier than it should have, but it's a part of their story, then whatever challenges they're going to face throughout their lifetime, whether it's, you know, HSC, university, asking a, you know, a, boy, a boy or a girl on a date, all those things that you know, give us some angst, they're going to they're gonna smash through those things like no tomorrow if they could only remember and understand to their core that they are a strong, resilient human being because they've just been through the toughest thing they're ever going to have to go through. That's losing a loved one and still live their life. So ultimately, we, we, you know, we, we empower kids to achieve their full potential in spite of their loss. You know, it's about these kids not using their loss as an excuse, but really striving forward and living with their loss in healthy, positive ways and um, being who, they, who they're truly meant to be. Yeah. I, I honestly am just blown away by... I obviously only heard about what you do when I moved here to Australia and I think it's such an important resource for for anybody and especially young people because that conversation often isn't there and until it happens that conversation isn't there so you're going in completely blind as to what to expect 
And as you say, it is extremely lonely. It feels very, very lonely. And to know that there's a place that um, you can go where there's people around you that aren't going to treat you differently, that have a similar understanding of, you know, what you might be going through and how you might be feeling and are there to support you no matter what is just such an important and I think incredible resource and I think that what what you've created and and the impact that you're having on so many lives is so beneficial and amazing and um can you for anybody who is listening who maybe thinks that this could be something that someone that they know might find benefit from how how does it work how do people how can people get involved yeah, so from a from a I guess a bereaved child or family's point of view, so we do we do also have a parent and guardian workshop. Uh, so the parent and guardian workshop, we realise that we're changing kids' lives, but they're going home to the same environment. So what we realise is we need to holistically support the family. So for a parent who may be struggling with their children or just feel that um, their children need you know some meet other children in their situation, um, you can go to the website uh, feelthemagic.org.au and sign up to be a sign sign your children up to be a uh, a camper at one of our camps um and also to sign up sign yourself up to be uh, part of the parent and guardian workshop which it's more focused on the children but and understanding what what dialogue they're going to come home with so you you and your children can work together to work through your grief um one thing i just wanted to also share is we've also now got a online uh, healthy grieving program so due to covid or thanks to COVID, we've had to um, postpone most of our camps uh, up, up until August this year. But I'm really impressed with the team. They've developed a, within a six-week period, we've developed an online healthy grieving program, which is supporting 10 children a week, as well as their guardians or parents. And we run that over a 48-week period. So an additional 48, 480 children will be supported through their grief. And it's a similar concept to a camp model, but it's all online. So uh, it's run over three-day three -day sessions. Um, and it's again, it's it's a lot of fun. It's connecting, you know, children from all over the country as well. So on a national scale, yeah. So all that, all, all the information and how to get involved is all on our website. From a volunteering perspective, which is what you've you've done as well, um, you don't have to have lost someone to be a great mentor. Uh, a child just wants someone with, you know, a good pair of ears that can that can listen and an open heart that uh, is, is going to be present with that child. And it's not your job to fix that child, but it's your job to be present with that child. And, you know, you are, you are guided by mental health professionals and, and other experienced people at camp. So one of, one, of the, one of the things that have blown me away about the mentor experience is just how community-minded and, and the community that has been developed from a camp magic experience. And it wasn't our intention because it's always been about the kids, but... The mentors that we we attract to our programs is uh, you know, they're, they're some of Australia's best people. You know, they all they've got hearts of gold, and they you can see the physical and mental change in them once they have a camp magic experience. Because, well, my theory is, when you go give up your time to support a bereaved child at camp, you you know you are giving up your time away from your family and your work or business, whatever it may be, and you go there and you think, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna provide this child the best support I can give and it's all about you giving to that child 
of what that child will teach you in return about resilience, courage, bravery, being what it's like to be vulnerable and actually live through real pain and still have a smile on your face. It just, it just makes you a better human being. And, you know, I've had, I've had reports of mentors to say, I go home a better husband and wife, I go home a better, better parent, uh, even employee, because I just, I just see that there's so much more pain out there that things I'm dealing with, um, I don't, you know, not, not to compare other, you know, personal, personal circumstances with grieving children, but it just puts it into perspective and you go, you know what, you know, not getting my coffee this morning isn't really going to hurt me. I think I'm going to be okay uh, because little Jimmy's there without his mum for the rest of his life. So, you know, it just puts it into, into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope, and I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening to this that will want to support in some way. Um, whether that be volunteering or any any other form so if you could say anything any piece of advice to someone who is grieving right now what would that be but also if you could say anything to someone who is supporting someone who is going through grief and loss what would that be yeah it's it's a good question good questions i'll start with the second question if you're supporting someone who is grieving now you don't have to come up with the right things to say. The best way to support someone is just by being present and saying nothing and let them, let them talk, let them chew your ear off. You know, it's, you know, we hear so often and I've, I've experienced this. I'm sure you've experienced this. People say the wrong thing because they're uncomfortable. They're, they're awkward, but they think, Oh, they're in a better place now, or at least they're not in pain. Well, those type of things, they're just, they're just straight out of a textbook and they're, they're old, they're, they're, they're outdated, and they just don't need to be said anymore. To say, to say to someone, your loved one's in a better place now, well, actually, they're not. The better place is here with me. You know, so refrain from saying things that you think are going to fix the person because it's not your job to fix them. This person's allowed to grieve and understand that this person needs to grieve to come out the other side a better, a better person and be healthy. So... Uh, one thing we, we promote at camp is side hugs. So if someone's not saying much and you don't know what to say, just walk up and give them a side hug. You don't have to embrace them. Just a side hug and let them talk. If they want to talk, um, let them, just let them talk as much as they want and don't, don't give advice that you don't really think. Don't give advice out of awkwardness. Just listen. That's all you need to do. And so the, the first question was, what's one piece of advice? Is that right? Yeah. One piece of advice is there's no time frame on, on grief. I'm a strong believer in that grief lasts forever. And if you have a friend or a family member or you're grieving yourself, always check in on that person because there's so many firsts that that person's going to go through. Uh, like I shared with myself grieving again when my children were born. There's so many firsts that a child and even an adult is going to go through. So don't expect that that person's complete, they're never going to get over the loss of someone they love. You know, grief is the ultimate price we pay for love. So it'd be unfair of us to take that away from them. Away from them. What we can do is just allow them to grieve and they're going to be okay. Everyone is going to be okay as long as they're given permission to grieve. They don't need to feel awkward around you because they don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. Just as long as they know they're safe, um, and they've got permission to grieve as long as they want and um, 
when I say grieving as long as they want, it's, you know, post the death, but I'm, I guess what I'm referring to, grief is no time frame. I mean, 10 years down the track, they, they still will think of their loved ones. So it is, it is a matter of checking in on them on, you know, on anniversaries or, or, or what have you. Days that you know are significant to that, that person and their, and their lost loved one. So that's, what, that's my greatest tip is time, there's no, absolutely no time frame on grief. And I completely, completely agree with that. Um, so before we kind of wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Anything else that you'd like to, to, to say before we say goodbye? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on today. It's, uh, it's, it's been great. I love, I love talking about the, the impact that Feel the Magic has. And, and I actually don't get to share my, my personal story that much. And it's, for me, it's, it's great to reflect on, you know, how, how uh, pain and trauma can lead to, to great things. And I know if my mum was still here, my, both my parents were still here, and I could see the impact that their legacy is, is creating. It's, it's, it's something I hold dear to my heart and very proud of. And, you know, I, 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 and I think because of that, it is, you know, for these kids, and like I said before, they can get through this, they can get through anything. I, I truly believe that, you know, if you look at all the great stories out there, the great organisations, the great um, leaders of the world, they've come from something and that's empowered them to be who they are today. And with grief and loss, if you can, if you can just realise that there's healthy ways to get through this, something great can come out the other side if you just allow it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you taking your time and sharing your story. And I think it is important to, to share that and to be able to speak about it. Um, but I know that it's not always easy. Um, however, what both you and your wife have created together is really amazing, as I've said. And um, it's going to allow them to create friendships and a community and um, grow within themselves in what is such a difficult time so it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, thank you as well because I know this is the first podcast that you've done so I feel very honored that you're you're on here as your first one and I'm sure that you've got plenty more to come that you'll be doing um, but I look forward to seeing more of the amazing things that feel the magic does and being at one of your camps once they are back open so thank you so much and I hope you have a lovely day awesome we look forward to having you and thank you again Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I invite you to also come and be a part of the community by connecting with us on Instagram at Grow With Grief. Before we go, I want to take the time to thank you. Thank you for tuning in and being part of a community that opens conversation, raises awareness and brings individual perspectives and stories to the forefront of a topic that is often avoided and treated as uncomfortable. The conversations that we have may sometimes bring your own emotions, memories and triggers to the surface and I want to encourage you to know that you are not alone. If you or anyone you care for is in need of support, please reach out to your local support line or if you are in Australia, you can contact Griefline by phone on 1300 845 745 who are available from midday to 3am every day.